Well, good morning. Before we get into the uh, teaching on Ephesians 5.20, we're just going to look at another verse today. Uh, I want to say a few things about the 100 Days of Pursuit Initiative. Hopefully at this point everyone has <clears throat> heard about it. Um, it's an intensified effort, the first 100 days of 2021, to pursue God. Essentially, um, we want to push harder than we've ever pushed before uh, to know the Lord. And so if you're part of the Wren family, I really encourage you to, to join me in this. Uh, as I said before, the, the winter months, January, February, March, can be difficult. It gets dark early. It's cold. Not too bad today, I guess. But um, this is a, a way to kind of redeem the wintry season and make it something, turn it into something great. So there isn't any uh, specific commitment to fasting or praying. I'm not kind of putting any certain thing on you. Uh, there won't be any extra meetings to attend. My intention certainly isn't to heap uh, more things to do on your already busy lives. My heart in this is just to complement the pursuit of God that you're already engaged in. Uh, because if you're a Christian, you're, you're seeking God, you're trying to draw close to God. So one way that I'm aiming to help is by providing daily content through email. It will be scripture, uh, reflections, prayers, prophetic words, uh, stories of past revivals, and some of the individuals, instruments that God has used in the past in those special times of outpouring uh, throughout church history, as well as just other resources, just things from my heart, just anything I can give to you or um, kind of expose you to daily to help you in your in your pursuit with the Lord. Um, so in order to receive the, the daily emails, you have to subscribe to them, even if you're already subscribed to the regular REN newsletter that goes out once a week, because if you don't want uh, the daily email, I don't want to uh, fill everyone's inboxes. Um, so uh, go to the homepage of our website and just click the 100 Days of Pursuit graphic and you can uh, see how to subscribe pretty easily there. I do want to say that subscribing to these daily emails will not change your life. Um, it's easy to subscribe to something. You know, it takes about 30 seconds. If you're like me, you get a lot of emails. You don't always read them carefully. Maybe you skim them or scan them or sometimes just swipe them away without reading them at all. Or some of you might have, uh, you know, just thousands of emails in your inbox that are unread, like 7,462 emails. And so you just, you know, kind of get new emails and they just get unread. Uh, but even if you do read the emails daily, they won't automatically change you. What is necessary is reading and putting into practice what you read. Remember how Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. That's from Matthew chapter 7. Well, I want to make a bold promise to you right now that 
if you not only read what I send you each day, but put into practice what you read, you will be dramatically changed. I believe that. Wherever you are right now, whether you're backslidden or lukewarm or nominal or struggling or strong in God or serious with God or deep in God, whatever, you will ascend up the hill of the Lord further than you ever have before. I promise you that. Uh, Because, for one, we know that Hebrews 11 says God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In fact, I've just looked back on my walk with the Lord over 30 years, and there's never been a time that I've sort of made a decision to go deeper and spend more time in prayer or fasting or just, you know, putting aside other things, consecrating my life in, in greater ways that I've, I've been disappointed. Uh, there's always been increase when I've um, pushed harder. That's why the Bible says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Um, God is always going to respond when we seek him uh, harder. So the primary aim in this initiative is to come into a deeper intimacy with God. It's not simply for the purpose of revival or church growth or for uh, even, even just to establish a deeper prayer life. It's, those are all good things. Those are all things we want. Uh, but really, the heart of this is that we would come into a closer a more intimate relationship with God, a friendship with God. In Exodus chapter 33, it tells us that the Lord spoke to Moses the way a man speaks to a friend. Take that in for a moment. You know, it doesn't say that Moses spoke to God the way a man speaks to a friend, though he probably did to some extent, it says, or it puts the emphasis on saying that God spoke to Moses that way. I mean, that's pretty awesome if you really think about it. Think of the way we talk to our close friends, or uh, maybe some of us are really close to our family members or our spouses, of course. We share secrets, right? We share dreams, we share our sufferings. Um, this is the kind of depth of friendship and conversation that we want to have with God the Father. So I invite you to join with me in this pursuit of God through the winter season, Um, especially, again, if you're part of the Wren family. I want this to be something that we're doing together. Originally, I was just going to do it myself. I, you know, was like, oh, coming into the new year, this is what I'm going to do. And then, then I thought, why, why would I want to do this alone? You know, let's, let's, let's drag as many people as possible into this and, and let's do this together. It's always better to do things together, um, especially as we're kind of, you know, in this season of being distanced physically. Um, this is kind of something that can maybe glue us together a little bit more, even though we're scattered all around and in our, in our houses Um, So that's kind of what I wanted to say about the 100 Days of Pursuit. Um, Go on the website. 
on our website and you can find out more information. Just click the graphic. Uh, there's an intro letter, kind of an invitation letter uh, that I wrote. And uh, since it's January 3rd, there's already, um, I think, three posts in there, two or three, uh, that are already done. So you can, and they'll, they'll live there too. We're, every time we send one out, they're going to be there. So uh, you can always go back and, and look at them. All right, well, let's get into this word. Like I said, we are in uh, the book of Ephesians, um, and we're going to continue on with the book of Ephesians uh, for a little while longer. We're almost done with it, and I'm going to make every effort to kind of fuse this together with the 100-day pursuit that we're doing. Uh, So this one, this morning that we're looking at, this verse certainly is applicable. And so I'm going to read the the verse first. It says this. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you remember the last uh, sermon that I did out of Ephesians, it was talking about singing to the Lord, making melody in your heart. And before that, it was be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs making melody in your heart to the Lord. Um, and then it brings us to this, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Gratitude is beautiful. Um, at Christmas, you may have watched certain friends uh, or family give thanks for gifts, right, that it were given to them. Uh, they may have uh, just shouted in, a, in excitement, or uh, I think of, we gave uh, my daughter, Taylor, uh, a vacuum cleaner, of all things, and she just went crazy for this thing, um, like it was a new car or something. Uh, she was so excited about it. But some people just start rambling about how much they love the gift, or even some people might even start crying. Um, actually, Taylor gave me a, a handmade journal uh, this Christmas, and it was really beautiful, and I'd want, wanted this for a long time because you know, she makes these beautiful notebooks. And so, uh, you know, just when she gave it to me, I just pretended, I think my wife missed this because she was in the bathroom, but um, I just pretended to break down in tears, uh, weeping uh, in joy and gratitude. You know, I was just being funny, of course, but I was trying to express how thankful I was. And it's a beautiful thing. You know, gratitude is a beautiful thing. Well, we've also probably watched people open a gift and have little or no gratitude, right? Um, Little kids sometimes do this. They open the gift and then make a funny face and then just slide it into the corner and look for the next gift, right? And I'm sure that I did that as a kid when someone gave me, like, uh, clothes, for example. Clothes, you know, what am I going to do with clothes? I wanted uh, matchbox cars or uh, Tonka trucks or something like that. And so uh, that's why parents teach their children to be thankful. You know, okay, Joey. Thank Grandma for the new jacket, (laughs) Um, because it kind of doesn't come naturally, 
to us to, to be thankful. But why is it so ugly and rude to give thanks? I mean, to not give thanks. Have you ever really thought about that? Well, I think, you know, it dishonors the giver, doesn't it? I mean, it makes the giver feel, feel terrible in, in some cases, right? Like they don't know how to give good gifts or they really miss the mark. Or it could even grieve the giver if they spent a lot of time or energy or money. You know, maybe they made it themselves or they spent a lot of money or searched hard for this gift. And it kind of just dishonors them in a way or kind of hurts them, right? Well, in the same way, how do you think God feels when... He has lavished us with eternal salvation, but we fail to give him thanks. I think it affects him, grieves him. He's not human um, in the way we might be offended or, you know, our feelings are hurt, but I think it, you know, he feels those things. I mean, our gratitude toward him, he certainly enjoys. And it's like a fragrance to him. And so in the same way, I think he's grieved when we are ungrateful. Well, no one really should be as thankful as the Christian, right? But one of the problems with us is that we tend to quickly forget all that God has done. I know I do. Um, when we first come to Christ, unless you kind of grew up in the church and sort of had a gradual coming to Jesus, but uh, for those who at some point in your life, you know, had a, uh, a turnaround and, and your eyes were opened and you were awakened to the love of God and you became a Christian and, wow, we were just so overflowing with gratitude. I mean, it was just so fresh, Right? But then, I don't know, life happens, time goes on, we just kind of get familiar with things, and we just get distracted, we take things for granted. It's just kind of what happens, so we have to work against that. <laughs> Last night, we, we uh, my youngest daughter Maddie and, and I were just in the kitchen, and we decided to give our our little dog, Jack, this little treat we call a greenie. And I think we've been giving him these uh, little treats. They're like little bones um, since we took him in as a puppy. And now he's, how old is he? 12 years, 13? 13 years old? In January, yeah. So he, he's, he's an, old, an old dog at this point. But when we gave it to him, gave him this greenie last night, he instantly got excited and started wagging his tail. And, you know, it's just like we were amazed at how he's been able to sustain joy and gratitude for the last 12, 13 years consistently, um, effortlessly, it seems. But I think with us humans, it, it doesn't come as easy. 
You know, we have this propensity to forget and even just to complain, to focus on the things that we don't have. Listen to these cautions in the book of Deuteronomy. Take care, this is Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 to 14. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and everything you have is multiplied, then, you know, after you've been so blessed, then your heart will be lifted up. I think it means in pride. And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So we have to stir ourselves up by way of remembrance, as the apostle Peter put it in his epistle. And there are so many examples of people doing this uh, in the word of God. Many of the Psalms and the prayers of the Bible, right, are just uh, there for us, I I think, to kind of make our own. Uh, So they're tools for us to, to use, to help us to remember the good things that God has done for us. And I want to walk you through Psalm 103 just to kind of show you, this is one example of, you know, how King David reminded himself of good things uh, to stir up his soul, to encourage himself in the Lord. Psalm 103, I'm just going to walk through it a little bit and just, you know, kind of make it my own as I, as I do this or make it our own. Uh, it says this, bless the Lord, O my soul and all that is within me. Bless, just bless, praise God. That's what he's saying. Just praise be to God. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. He's kind of preaching to his own soul and all that is within me. You know, he's saying God is worthy. You are worthy, God, to be blessed. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. I think he was probably in a, in a mood that was just, a little grumpy, a little unthankful. And he was saying, come on. Come on, soul. Don't forget all the benefits of the Lord. And then he just starts into it. He lists them. And this is what we can do. He starts to talk about him. Who forgives all of your iniquity. He's reminding himself that his sins have been wiped out. Who heals all of your diseases. It is God who who sends strength to our physical bodies, who redeems your life from the pit. David is saying, ah, you know, if it weren't for you, God, I'd be lost. And this we can always thank God for, that we used to be dead in sin. We used to be separated from God. We were born in iniquity, right? The Bible teaches. But God has pulled us out of the miry clay and set our feet on a rock and given us a new name, and given us adoption, and made us his children. I mean, even just for that, we could praise God all day long. And then he goes on, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. I think the NIV says loving kindness. That not only does God save us, but he he just crowns us with his kindness. He's tender with us. He's gentle with us. He satisfies us with good. 
so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. It's God that gives that strength in the inner man. And then he says, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He's just thanking God for the way when we are feeling down or we're feeling oppressed or when we're, you know, injustices are coming against us in this world that the Lord comes by our side and he works justice for us. He's our advocate. And he makes known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. David says that God is a God who has revealed himself. It doesn't hide. He's wanting to make himself known. God is a God. Thank God. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, we can say. Because God is the kind of God that wants to make himself known to us and show us the way into the deep of his heart. Then he says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He's just praising God for who God is. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. And he does not deal with our, our sins. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Think what he's saying there. David's just rem remembering that God is the, the kind of God that, that doesn't chide. Chide is to, to, to scold, to, to get on someone for their behavior, to, to discipline. God does discipline us, right? It, the Bible teaches that. But he, it's not his, any good parent doesn't enjoy disciplining their children. You know, it's, God doesn't take a special pleasure out of disciplining his church or disciplining us when we're kind of going astray. He just, he does it to just pull us back to a, a good place. He doesn't, he doesn't want to chide. He, he wants to bring us into that good place, and he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. He's patient with us. David said, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. Remember how merciful and gracious and slow to anger the Father is. Remember his heart. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, David says, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. I mean, that alone is something to just bless God for. Thank you, God, that you don't uh, remember all of my sins, all of the sins from our youth, all the sins that we've committed as Christians, all the ways we've missed the mark every single day of our life, that God just wipes all that away, the precious blood of Jesus. Like, we have a greater revelation of these things now because we know that Christ came and laid his life down and washes away all of our sins. And our sins are just completely removed. And wow, what, an, what a thing to remember and, and to stir up thankfulness within us. I love this one. That David says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. He knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. David's just remembering that he's just saying, thank you, God, that, that you're compassionate toward us, that when we're suffering and afflicted and we're struggling in different ways, you're not... Uh, you're not angry with us. You're not kicking us when we're down. You're coming alongside us. You feel the things that we feel. You sympathize with our weaknesses. You touch 
the, you know, the whole uh, orb of our infirmities that you, you remember that we're in these bodies, that we're in this fallen world, that we're weak, that we come from dust. Um, thank God for that, right? And then he says, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, right? The brevity of life, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. He's just remembering here that the steadfast love of the Lord is not just this uh, you know, momentary thing. It's not just a, uh, you know, for a season. It's not just for, uh, you know, a few years and then it dries up and goes away. David's just remembering like, wow, the, the steadfast love of God, this everlasting love of God is going to be upon me for eternity. I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever and bask in his love and it's going to increase and abound more and more and more throughout eternity. Ten billion years from now, we're just going to be swimming in the steadfast love of God, this constant love that is just set upon us. I think the New Testament often brings this out as well, just in, in the verses about, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I think sometimes we forget that. We just get, you know, we're insecure sometimes. We're like, oh, God, is he with me or not? I don't know. I don't feel him. And, and, and David just remembering, like, God takes hold of us and doesn't let us go. God is committed to his children. He says he's begun a good work in us, and he's faithful to complete it. He will never let us go. So many verses I could give for that idea in scripture, but thank God for this assurance that he's given us and that he commits himself to us. Even when we're straying, he's gentle with us and pulls us back. He knows how to preserve his people. And then David says, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. I think what he's saying here is, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, my God is God. He's saying, my God is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. My God is the matchless God of the universe. My God is the one true God, the creator of all things. And he's going to reign forever. His kingdom is above every other kingdom. He's just remembering the glory of God here. He's just remembering that he's connected to this God who rules the universe. Wow, right? And then he just kind of goes crazy at the end of this psalm. Bless the Lord. Oh, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all of his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. You know, he's just like calling upon the whole creation. Let everything that has breath, right? Praise the Lord. Let the trees praise him. Let the birds of the air sing songs of praise. Let everyone, 
everywhere in all the universe give praise to God. Now, David may be more uh, poetic, you know, than us, right? He does this really well. But I think we can all do this kind of thing, and we can do it often. It, it just takes some, some work, doesn't it? I mean, even just, uh, I like to write. You know, I think writing prayers of thanks is a great way. Some of you like to make lists. Great, make a list of the things you're thankful for. I mean, that, that works. Um, you know, get, there's so many songs that just are all about the goodness of God. Just they remind us, a lot of the hymns just remind us of the works of God and the, especially the cross of Jesus and, and what he's given to us. And, and so you can just sing these hymns. All these things are tools for us. The Psalms in the Bible, the prayers in the Bible, the hymns, the thousands of hymns that are available to us, the songs you know, notebooks and pens and being able to write these things out, just, it takes a little effort. But I just encourage us to, uh, you know, work hard to be filled with gratitude. Well, let's look at the second important thing in this Ephesians 5, 20 verse. Uh, Paul says we shouldn't just give thanks, you know, like once in a while, like when we're feeling it, but we should give thanks always, and for everything. It's actually pretty easy to give thanks when things are going well, right? I mean, I think even non-Christians can be pretty thankful when they get the job that they wanted or they get the school of, you know, get into the school that they want to get into or have a baby or whatever, recover from an illness, any number of things. You know, I think people just, yeah, man, thank, they even thank God, sort of. Um, even though they don't really believe in God, they'll be like, oh, thank God this happened. And that's easy, right? But Paul is pressing something much more challenging in this verse. Give thanks always and for everything. Always means all day, every day, no matter what kind of day it is. It means giving thanks when we lose our job or get sick, or lose someone we love, or experience any affliction that might come our way. We're to give thanks through it all. Now, it's, it's a bit of a paradox, right? Because there's a place for lament and mourning. Um, that's why we often quote how Paul says, you know, he was sorrowful and yet rejoicing. There can be this both of these things can work together. We can lament and yet still be thankful. And so we need to learn how to do this. Paul said it plainly in these verses found in 1 Thessalonians 5 that say this, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. One of my favorite preachers is uh, Charles Spurgeon. Um, I wish he was alive because I'd probably, you know, try to be his assistant pastor or something. But he was a late 1800s pastor in London. And all of his sermons can be found, by the way, on Spurgeon.org. And they're just wonderful. 
He has one I found entitled Always and for All Things, which is right from this verse, uh, Ephesians 5.20, and I think that's the King James Version. But it's much better than my sermon, so uh, you might not want to read it. No, I'm just kidding. It's a really great sermon uh, and stirred my heart incredibly. I just want to read a piece of it because I, I like this particular paragraph. He says, when the weather is unusually dull and dreary, we should resolve to set a stout heart against the pelting storm and determine that if we shiver in body, we will at least be warm in heart. Our thanksgiving is not a swallow, which is gone with the summer. The birds within our bosom sing all the year round. And on such a morning as this, their song is doubly welcome. The fire of gratitude will help to warm us. Heap on the big logs of loving memories. No cold shall freeze the genial current of soul. Our praise shall flow on when brooks and rivers are bound in chains of ice. It's beautiful, isn't it? One example of giving thanks always, maybe this comes to your mind too, is Job, right? I mean, he's the poster child of suffering. He's a righteous man, but goes through terrible afflictions. Um, you know, here's what he went through. He is struck with painful boils. It's gross. I mean, you know, scraping with a piece of pottery. It's, I, it's, the guy went through it. His servants are killed. His 500 oxen in 500 donkeys are stolen from him. Fire fell from heaven and consumed 7,000 sheep. Then his 3,000 camels were taken away by a raiding army. A great wind comes and causes the house to fall where his 10 children were feasting and they all die in a tragedy. His friends give him terrible, unsympathetic counsel. He feels distant from God. You know, you know, I look to the left, I look to the right, I see you not. I, where are you? Even his wife was a thorn in his side who said to him at one point, you should just curse God and die. Okay, that's not encouraging. But Job didn't stop Praising God. And that's kind of what he's famous for. Consider one of his beautiful prayers. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Another example of giving thanks in a sort of extreme circumstances, Paul and Silas. It's a great story. You can look it up in Acts chapter 16. I'll just give the gist of it, but it takes place in Philippi on their missionary travels, and they're heading to a prayer meeting when they are met by a slave girl who, by fortune-telling, made a lot of money for her masters. So she started following Paul and his companions around, saying, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation, or something like that. I mean, what she was saying was actually true, but 
probably because she was demon-possessed, the way she was saying it started to drive Paul crazy. He was agitated. Paul gets so fed up that he turns around and rebukes the demon and casts the demon out of her. Well, the slave owners, the slave girl owners were furious because, uh, you know, of course, now she lost her fortune-telling ability that was making them so much money. And it gets ugly. Paul and Silas are just seized. And there's like mobs of people in the scene. And they're dragged before the magistrates and they're slandered and they're beaten with rods and they're thrown in prison. And not only that, they're placed in stocks. And remember, like this is a very unstable point in church history when uh, Christians were being martyred. So many Christians were martyred in that first century. And remember, too, that the conditions in prison were just wretched. But here's what Scripture says Paul and Silas were doing at the end of this rough day. Acts 16, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. No grumbling, no self-pity, no disgruntled prayers to God saying, why are you doing this to me after all I've done for you? There was none of that. They were singing praises to God. Imagine the effect this had on the prisoners who were, who were listening. Another example that comes to mind is a story of the Jewish believer Corey Ten Boom in the book The Hiding Place. And if you haven't read that book, it's, it's such a good book. And they also made a movie out of it. But they lived in the Netherlands, Corey and her family, uh, during the invasion of Germany. And she and her sister Betsy ended up in a, just a horrible Nazi concentration camp. And on top of it, Betsy's health was failing. But Corey tells us how her sister Betsy maintained this overflowing gratitude to God. And I remember, <clears throat> I think I read, read the book and watched the movie, but I, I can picture the, uh, the movie where Betsy <clears throat> is in the, kind of where all the, the bunk beds are, <clears throat> and she's just got this glow on her face of joy, and there's all these other women around, even though her, her, her health is failing, and there's just a fragrance of gratitude um, emanating from, from Betsy's life, uh, despite horrendous conditions. The truth is that many things the world considers miserable, we know can work for good. One of the most quoted verses in the Bible is eight, Romans 8.28, right? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. 
for those who are called according to his purpose. I don't know why, I just remembering this illustration that I used uh, a while back, at, actually at Ellen Kolsch's uh, funeral. And I was kind of saying how things from our earthly perspective, you know, just, they just don't look good. But from an eternal perspective, they can be something beautiful. And the illustration I was using was, I have memories of of my mother growing up. Uh, She was very crafty and just did all kinds of different things constantly, always making something with her hands or whatever. Uh, But she would uh, sew once in a while. And I would, like, come in to ask her a question, and she's there working away on the sewing machine, uh, you know, just just, noisy and, uh, you know, kind of jarring. It looks a little dangerous, that needle flying up and down. And then there's just this pile of fabric and thread that's just kind of just looks like, from my perspective, the whole thing just looked like a mess. And yet, when she was done, she would take that thing that she was sewing and she would kind of, you know, turn it right side in or outside in or inside out or whatever, you know, the way it was supposed to be. And it would be something stunning, something beautiful. So I think that we just don't realize sometimes uh, what God is doing. You know, it means that things like thorns in the flesh and weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and beatings and setbacks and imprisonments and calamities are actually preparing us, preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Like it says in 2 Corinthians 4. I mean, the flogging and the crucifixion of Jesus is the greatest of all examples, isn't it? It looked horrific and tragic from an earthly perspective. I mean, right? A 33-year-old innocent man who was just bearing so much fruit and healing people and bringing so much joy everywhere he went. And his life is just like unjustly flogged and beaten and mocked and humiliated and crucified. The worst way you could die is tragic from our perspective, but we know that that was the means of eternal salvation. And so from an eternal perspective, it brought so much good. So Paul wasn't just being wordy, you know, by saying to give thanks always and for everything. He wasn't being flowery. He really meant it. A huge part of Paul's theology teaches us to perceive bad things differently. Well, lastly, and on a lighter note, I want to add that giving thanks for everything should include the little things, right? Kind of need to think like children a little bit. The things that, you know, are little and maybe we take for granted, but also the things that aren't so little, but because they're so familiar, we forget to praise God for them. You know, things like existence. (laughs) Things like 
God made us. And we have breath in our lungs for the sunshine, for the birds singing in a tree out our window, for the ability to make money, for our friends and, and family. Maybe they drive us crazy sometimes, but they're a gift from God. Um, we need that companionship, and God has provided these people for us. Even for parents, sometimes, you know, we, oh, we, you know, we're so critical about our parents. Man, our parents, you know, we, we were born into this world, and we were, you know, someone took care of us and changed thousands of our diapers and, you know, made sure that we, uh, you know, were well-fed and, and taken care of, and someone held us a lot when we were crying. And that's a gift. Even things like shelter from the cold or clothing, varieties of food to enjoy, um, good books and good music, the time that we have to go on a day trip or to learn something new like punch needle, our eyesight that we can see, and I know not everyone can see, but if we can see, we should thank God for that. Or if we can hear, we should thank God that we can hear or that we can feel sensation, feel a breeze, feel the warmth of a fire, feel the comfort of a bed at night when we slide into it and just get under the covers and maybe it's our favorite pillow. Living near the ocean, even owning a car, I think we just take for granted. How about a plant in your house that is flourishing? The joy of having a dog, the snowfall. I, I, I could keep going with thousands of other things, but my encouragement is remember the little things as well and give God praise for all of it. You know, this... This, this practice of gratitude, when it really begins to take, take hold of our lives, it, it does something wonderful. It curbs our tendency to want things that we don't have. And it kind of brings us into a contentment with what we do have. It doesn't mean we shouldn't have ambition or want certain things. It's okay to you know, save up money for a certain thing that you're trying to buy that's going to, you know, enhance your life in some way or improve. What, that, that's, that's fine. But it can, it can just become, like, very consuming, right? And we can just get discontent. We can just be so fixated on the thing that we don't have or on some part of our life that just isn't the way we want it to be that we just miss the, like, thousands of things in our life that are just good. So focus on the good. Think on whatsoever is good and trustworthy and noble and true, like it says in Philippians 4. It can literally change your whole perspective on life. And I think it's one of the great secrets of a happy life. So as we begin this new year and are making resolutions, let's resolve to give thanks to God always and for everything. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for 
everything that you give to us. Lord, we, we, just this message scratches the surface only, Lord. You, you just, you're so good. You're so kind. You've lavished us with so much, not only in this life, but when we even just begin to think about what you're going to do in the life to come, in the kingdom to come, that blessed new city that Revelation 21 and 22 talks about, and just how we're going to see your face and how there's going to be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more None of that. No more struggle with sin. Lord, we're just going to be with you for eternity, God. Lord, just that we get to be a part of that. Just that we are alive today, Lord. We're just so grateful for the breath in our lungs. Lord, we pray for 2021. We know 2020 was a tough year, but we just want to come uh, blasting into this new year with a spirit of gratitude. Just with a spirit of praise to you because of all that you are doing in our lives and just your goodness. So Lord, in, in this new year, um, in all that we would seek to excel in, I pray that we would excel in this practice of gratitude. Bless your people today on this Sabbath day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening.